0: The President of the United States sought to cling to power after being voted out of office by the American people. The system held, but barely. And the system held because people of courage, Republicans and Democrats, like the witnesses you will hear today, put their oath to the country and Constitution above any other consideration. They did their jobs, as we must do ours.
1: And... As I must do mine Special coverage of the January 6th hearings well, I don't know why I came here tonight That's why I got the feeling that something right No, it ain't I'm so scared in case I fall off my chair And I'm wondering how I'll get down the stairs Clowns to the left of me Jokers to the right Here I am stuck in the middle with you Yep from Pacifica Radio in Los Angeles, this is The broadcast as heard on KPFK 90.7 FM in LA, also in California in Red Bluff and Redding on KFOI, Round Mountains KKRN, and Eureka's KGOE. Up in Oregon on the Central Coast on KYAQ, Cottage Grove's KSO, and Eugene's KEPW. Lancaster, Pennsylvania's WLRI, Maui, Hawaii's KAKU, Columbus, Ohio's WGRN. In Palinville, New York on WLPP, Rochester, New York's WRFZ, down in New Orleans on WHIV, out in Gallup, New Mexico on KNIZ, Concord, New Hampshire's WNHN, Fayetteville, Arkansas's KPSQ in Seattle on KODX, Janesville, Wisconsin's WADR in Minneapolis, St. Paul's AM950, and KTNF. We also stream coast-to-coast coast and around the globe every day on the Internet. on the Progressive Voices Channel, Netroots Radio, Radio for Humans, FYI Nation, NicoleSandler.com, Radio Free Brooklyn, Workforce Rising, No Lies Radio, Verdant Square Radio, Detour Talk, and most of your favorite podcast sites, Blanketing Planet Earth. Five days a week, I'm Brad Friedman, your friendly investigative blogger, journalist, troublemaker, muckraker, all-around swell fellow... Says Me from Bradblog.com. Thank you very much for joining us today once again for special coverage of day four of the House uh, January 6th. Uh, hearings uh, that are, have just been uh, well amazing one after another. I should note, by the way, that voters are heading to the polls in Virginia, Arizona, Alabama, Georgia, and in Washington D.C. on Tuesday for uh, both primary elections and runoffs. We will have noteworthy results as they exist uh, on our next broadcast. But boy, I got to tell you, every time I think there's nothing more that could possibly uh, be told to me at these hearings that will make any difference in how I look at all of this while well, they come out with another hearing that, frankly, kind of blows me away even more than the previous one. Uh, perhaps that's just me. We'll find out if my guests joining me momentarily feel the same about this. Desi Doyen, uh, were you, uh, like me, sort of surprised yet again at the uh, really effectiveness of these hearings both on an evidentiary level and, frankly, on an emotional impact level.
2: Most definitely on, on both cases, um, especially the emotional impact level. I did find myself, I must admit, tearing up a few times, especially when it came to people talking about how much their oath to the Constitution mattered to them. Mm. That that really got me.
1: Well, many uh, may recognize the names of two of the four witnesses at Tuesday's fourth public hearing of the bipartisan U.S. House Select Committee investigating the January 6, 2021 insurrection and Donald Trump's unceasing efforts to steal. The 2020 presidential election in any way that he and his supporters possibly could. It was the uh, two witnesses that were not as well known that sort of blew me away during the hearings, which wrapped up just about an hour or so ago before airtime here today. Georgia's Republican secretary of state, Brad Raffensberger. A Donald Trump supporter, at least during the election itself, who famously took that 67-minute phone call from then-President Trump, uh, in which uh, Trump asked him, at times seemingly threatening uh, him, to, quote, find 11,780 votes. Uh, that the votes that he would need to flip the state of Georgia from its rightful winner, Joe Biden, to Donald Trump. Uh, Raffensperger testified live before the panel today, as did his now deputy secretary of state, Gabriel Sterling, who also voted for Trump, but who, while serving as the state's voting system manager, in 2020, famously offered that uh, televised uh, sort of rant, sort of plea, saying enough is enough, someone's going to get hurt, someone's going to get killed. After election workers and voting system contractors began to be threatened by Trump's supporters, once Rudy Giuliani and Donald Trump made repeatedly false claims about vote counting in Fulton County, Georgia's uh, State Farm Arena in Atlanta, falsely claiming that suitcases of ballots were hidden under tables and counted multiple times. But it was the testimony of two other witnesses that really got to me, personally, from the uh, re- Republican Speaker of the Arizona House of Representatives, Rusty Bowers, and from uh, Wandrea Shea Moss, the decade-long Fulton County, Georgia election official who Long had loved her job helping people to vote, but then who, along with her mother, who volunteered to help as an election worker during the pandemic, and eventually even her grandmother, were relentlessly targeted by both Donald Trump and Rudy Giuliani, and then, of course, Trump's mobs of supporters who came to their houses, harassed them with racial epithets on social media. Until Moss eventually quit her job and both she and her mother now largely live a life of in fear of those uh, Trump supporters who falsely charge them with defrauding the 2020 election in Atlanta. Trump, for his part, mentioned Shea Moss's mother's name, Ruby Freeman, 18 times during his call with Brad Raffensperger, appallingly describing this kindly elderly lady as a, quote, professional vote hustler. Now, Ruby Freeman, previously and proudly known as Lady Ruby in her community, uh, who had shirts with that name on it in every color and wore one while working the 2020 election, says she will never wear one of those shirts again. She testified on videotape to the committee about having to move out of her house for months and explaining that she no longer feels safe going out in public in her own neighborhood.
3: There is nowhere I feel safe nowhere do you know how it feels to have the president of the united states to target you the president of the united states is supposed to represent every american not to target one but he targeted me lady ruby a small business owner A mother, a proud American citizen who's standing up to help Fulton County run an election in the middle of the pandemic.
1: The uh, House committee outlined on Tuesday Trump's relentless pressure to overturn the 2020 election, aiming to show it led to widespread personal threats on the stewards of American democracy. Election workers and local officials who fended off the defeated president's efforts. Their focus was on Trump's efforts to steal Biden's victory in the most local of ways by leaning on officials in key battleground states to reject ballots outright or to submit alternative fake electors for the final tally in Congress, which, as we saw in Previous hearings, uh, when Trump was making false claims of fraud and pressuring his own vice president to steal the election for him during the uh, electoral college certification on January 6th, the disgraced president was told over and over and over again that his claims about fraud were false, that his efforts to overturn the election were unlawful and unconstitutional in every regard. So it seems uh, was the pressure that he personally placed on state lawmakers and election officials in swing states like Arizona and Georgia, as the witnesses made very clear during Tuesday's testimony. Chairman Benny Thompson declared, quote, a handful of election officials in several key states stood between Donald Trump and the upending of American democracy. California Congressman Adam Schiff, who led the bulk of today's questioning of witnesses, said the system held, but barely. The hearing opened with chilling accounts of the barrage of verbal attacks facing state and local elected officials, including Arizona's Republican House Speaker Rusty Bowers, again, a strong supporter himself of Donald Trump's, at least until Election Day, who said that he was subject to a, quote, disturbing smear campaign online, bullhorn protests at his home, and a pistol-wielding man taunting his family and neighbors. He said he told Trump directly when the president called him to ask him, to beg him really, to convene a special session of the state legislature to select Trump electors instead of those chosen by the voters for Joe Biden. Quote, you're asking me to do something that is counter to my oath. At times, Bowers, an apparently very religious man who has served in the state legislature since 1993, seemed to get teary-eyed, describing his duty to his state, his country, and the Constitution. Joining us today to make sense of as much of this as we can from the very full Tuesday hearings. Well, we've got not one, but two longtime old school OG progressive bloggers joining us for insight and analysis. Uh, Once again today, we're delighted to be joined by our anchor, our rock, our fulcrum of sense and sensibility for these January 6 hearings. Heather Digby Parton, the award winning opinion and analysis journalist at Salon.com, otherwise known as just Digby at her long-running hullabaloo blog. Oh, welcome back, Ms. Parton.
4: Thanks for having me. Glad to be here.
1: And we are also delighted to have back, after a too-long absence, very long, of the longtime liberal blogger known far and wide, or at least in progressive circles, as simply Driftglass, though sometimes he's also known as Bill and even sometimes as Mr. Electrico when he's allowed to be on Twitter, Uh, Drift Glass hosts his weekly professional left podcast with his fellow OG blogger and wife, Blue Gal, also known as Fran, uh, from their home in what they lovingly describe as flyover country, Illinois. It's nice to have some kind of professional here. Drift Glass, Glass, though, uh, who knew the left even had any? Welcome back to the broadcast, amigo. My pleasure. Uh, So, uh, yes, welcome to both of you. Some broad picture picture questions here first uh, before we drill down into the specifics of Tuesday's hearings specifically. Uh, Heather, uh, what's our broad, big, broad sort of general takeaway or takeaways from uh, Tuesday's hearings?
4: Well, I think, you know, I mean, I found them to be quite emotional, just like you guys were saying. This one kind of got to me, too. Um... And you know, I think that what we're what we're seeing over and over again. I mean, this is happening from the very beginning of the the first hearing, the first, hear, first primetime hearing, mm-hmm. and then you know, number one and number two, and now we're at number three, which is really making it so incredibly clear that Donald Trump was you know deeply, deeply immersed. In this, and not just on a public tweeting you know as he 's putting it these days, I just complained about the election. You know it was way more than that, and by especially mm-hmm. the the Raffensburger testimony, I think and and also the bower 's testimony today showed that he was intimately involved in this he 's calling these these uh, legislators and basically you know trying to order them to <laughs> to overturn mm-hmm. the election on his behalf and that's just becoming more and more and more clear the evidence is just starting to pile up but there's also this undercurrent here that we're seeing through all of this and i think that probably the final uh, hearings are going to be the big rave up conclusion here that this was always leading to violence the violence was building mm. from the time of the of the of the election and, you know, what 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 they did today, in particular, was talking about the threats of violence to all these people, the officials, right? I mean, mm-hmm. there were the officials, there was the average election worker down there in, in Georgia just doing her job, and basically they were inciting <laughs> a form of terrorism against these people. Mm-hmm. And this was, and, 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 you know, I thought it was very, very skillful, the way that, I mean, Adam Schiff showed what they had done in the lead up to January 6th in the state houses he showed footage from Michigan and he showed footage from Arizona with you know the what was he called the insurrection shaman or whatever the QAnon, uh, the Q-anon. Yes. shaman yeah um, He was in the Arizona, you know, before January 6th, he was dressed up exactly the same Mm -hmm. way down there in Arizona, and they invaded the the Arizona House of Representatives. And so I think that what you're sort of seeing here, I mean, to me anyway, is that this subtext of violence is just, it's running through this entire thing. And today it was particularly, I don't know, I mean, this is what was emotional for me, Mm -hmm. was the idea of these people... Uh, different In different walks of life, some in more important jobs than others. All of them having to sort of, you know, they were trying to do the right thing, and were, they weren't just dealing with Donald Trump tweeting. They were dealing with Donald Trump's people physically threatening them under very, very stressful and horrible situations. Threat. Threat. And in the case of, of um, the election workers in Georgia, I mm-hmm. mean, pretty much ruining their lives. Yeah. This is... This is what we're talking about here. This is a, an ongoing, rolling insurrection, and January 6th was not the end of it. I'm, you know, yeah. pretty convinced. Threat- anyway, that's my
1: takeaway. Th- uh, threatening, uh, but bullied. And, and, and bullied, as Ruby Freeman, you heard in that clip, says... By the President of the United States, for God's no, sakes. Named, oh. uh, targeted over and over again uh, by name. Just incredible. By the way, uh, you said this is day three. I don't want uh, listeners to be confused. It was actually day four, the fourth uh, hearing uh, on, on Tuesday. Uh, Driftglass, Glass, uh, sticking with that violence idea, uh, Liz Cheney said Donald Trump did not care about threats of violence. Uh, that she said after showing video of uh, Gabe Sterling the um, uh, deputy now the deputy uh, secretary of state in georgia detailing threats in georgia to uh, election workers uh, voting system contractors if trump did not care about threats of violence as cheney argues have we now learned enough to say that not only he did not care but that he actually wanted violence that he actually worked to encourage it is that fair to say
5: oh absolutely this is he is not indifferent to threats of violence. It's it's the implied threat in every word that came out of his mouth and all of his henchmen, all of the stuff that came out of their mouth. And what I think the committee is doing so masterfully, um, first of all, today was, was heartbreaking. I mean, how could you not be a citizen and and uh, love democracy and watch these two very different people, this this old, bald, white guy <laughs> and right. these lovely African-American Uh, mother and daughter who go to very different churches i'm -hmm. I'm sure but have the same reverence for the constitution and and fidelity to duty and and believe that this is a a holy thing this is a sacred thing they're doing Mm -hmm. and how completely they were undercut by that and what the committee is doing is almost like the challenger disaster reconstruction Mm. they're taking you step-by-step step through each component, and this happened, and this happened, and this happened, in in, in this linear, um, insurmountable argument that Donald Trump was the ringleader of this. He's the don. He's the man who's calling the shots. He's the one who is dispatching his henchmen into the field um, to threaten everybody. This is, this is an army of raptors testing the fence. Mm. Where can we find a break? What what can we do with with the intention in mind at all times to retain power by any means necessary? And it was very clear that behind all of this was this mob of brown shirts that operated at Donald Trump's beck and call. Mm. And he could dispatch, you know, the higher end ones, the Rudy Giuliani's, to threaten Mm. you over the phone. Or he could get word to his mob to, to take this person, take care of this person make sure the threats were known and he had twitter to do it Mm. he had social media to do it he would go on television It was all very clear and out in the open how deeply he was enjoying the idea of scaring the crap out of people and ruining their lives for daring to stand in his way um to hold on to power and it's the committee's doing an extremely good job of laying it out step by step exactly how this happened and each at each level this was the implied threat, and this was the intention, and the person behind it all was Donald
1: Trump. And I think it's interesting to see as they, as they put all of these pieces and document all of these pieces, it's almost as if, you know, because the idea was originally, oh, we're going to look what happened on January 6th. It's, it's like everything that we have learned, all of the things that we are seeing, it's almost as if how could it not lead to eventually to the violence and the death and the attack on the Capitol that happened on on January 6th. They're making it clear that uh, through all of these actions, I think it was building in only that one direction.
5: Couldn't agree more. And the the whole idea that you're sending your um, story out in both directions. Uh You're talking about how we got here, and this threat is not over. This threat is ongoing. The people involved are still deeply committed to overthrowing democracy and they're still out there and they're right over there on Fox News <laughs> and you can look at them every night of the week uh-huh. and I think that's that's it's Paul Revere's ride to anyone who is willing to listen mm-hmm. and the question is for me who is willing to listen
1: well, and I don't know. along those lines, uh, Heather uh, after the first three uh, hearings, there was new polling from ABC News found that nearly six in ten or fifty eight percent of Americans believe Trump should be charged with a crime for his role in the uh, january sixth insurrection that 's actually up six points, according to this poll uh, from fifty two percent who felt that way last December in the same poll, the same number fifty eight percent of Americans think Trump bears a great deal or a good amount of responsibility for the attack on the Capitol, but that number is actually unchanged from the December 2021 polling. It's similar to the findings uh, from the same poll conducted just after the attack on January, uh, in January of 21. So at this point... uh, I mean taking up on on Bill's point there have we maxed out as far as moving those who actually can be moved one way or another is is everyone sort of locked down now in their positions on this or is it still possible that some somehow you know people can be moved by uh, by these and, and additional hearings
4: Well I think people can be moved I just don't know whether or not that translates into into votes meaning specifically whether or not it makes any difference if Donald Trump decides to run again, whether or not people will, re, you know, revert to their corners mm-hmm. and will be back to a super, super polarized electorate, the way it was in 2020 or in 2016. Mm-hmm. I mean that that I don't know. I mean I can't really tell what's going to happen in the future. I was I was sort of encouraged by that polling actually, and not just because of the numbers that you just related, but when you looked at the cross tabs, the the key to you know how America you know, operates electorally, is, you know, you have your two parties. We're in a highly polarized situation. There aren't a lot of people who split tickets or do anything like that. But when you look at the independents, right? What are they doing? And many of them are also in the same corners. But there is a movable, you know, amount of numbers in there. The independent numbers have been moving, actually, more, not a lot, but mm-hmm. but more than either of the of the two. There is some movement there, and it and it leads me to believe. And I don't know whether or not it's just because of the hearings, or whether or not people are just going, geez, you know, can we get rid of the Trump show? You know, I'm done with that. What or 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 what? But it strikes me as, as odd, uh, be, and, and kind kind of encouragingly odd, um, because, you know, we have a lot of things going on in the country that for people who are not particularly partisan, perhaps they could latch on to that and sort of think that, you know, well, we're the kitchen table issues and inflation and, Mm -hmm. you know, everybody's just kind of in a bad mood and et cetera, et cetera. So for that to be happening in that environment, I actually found it a little bit encouraging. Mm. And we'll see whether or not that continues, or that was just, an, you know, an outlier in that poll. But I did, I did notice it, and I do think. On some level, you know, if you, anybody who watches the hearings, and that's another issue, you know, because that same poll showed that not very many people were. It was something like, what, 38 percent? Maybe I'm being too generous.
1: Well, there was like 20 million who watched the first, it's the primetime hearing. Or have has the viewership dropped off during the uh, It wasn't about hearings?
4: viewership. They were just ask, asking people, have you been paying close Following, attention to the uh-huh. hearings? And it was something like 38 percent, which, so okay. you know, isn't a lot. And there were, there were more who were saying, you know, and paying some attention. Maybe that's the best you can hope for, you know, their, their congressional hearings, it's not like it's the Super Bowl or anything. Um, it is for mm. us, but <laughs> <laughs> right. apparently it isn't for anybody else. But if, for those who do, and I think that one of the things you can't really take from that is that a lot of the way people watch watch current events now is very fragmented? You you know you look on your Facebook page or maybe you you know you go to TikTok or you get some kind of a you know an email from some politician you once donated to or whatever. And it, there's a lot of different ways that people get information. So I don't know whether or not actually saying you're watching the hearings or that you get a few few things from it, it translates to closely following the hearings or not.
1: I, I- well, I think it's uh, not unlike the uh, debates, as we've discussed for years, the presidential debates. It's sort of uh, it's one thing what happens on debate night. It's another thing what, uh, you know, gets repeated over and over through yep. clips and the the viral uh, videos and so forth. Uh, I got to get to a break here shortly. But Driftglass, uh, let me ask you this. Over the past few weeks, uh, Fox News Republicans have been feigning outrage and demanding You know, charges must be brought against those peacefully protesting outside the houses of Supreme Court justices. Now, whether or not you uh, agree with that as a, as a protest tactic, did I miss the calls? You Maybe you follow Fox News closer than me. I don't know. Did you miss? I, I, did I miss the calls for the very same folks demanding the same charges be brought against the hundreds or even thousands of Trump supporters who menaced and threatened election officials all over the country? We heard from just a couple of them today. Uh, But, you know, went to their houses and so forth uh, after the 2020 election. Anybody connecting those dots?
5: Well, maybe in an alternate universe that happens, but (laughs) not in our universe. And it never happens. I've long since given up any hope that any Republican anywhere is going to slap their forehead and say, oh, my God. I'm a hypocrite. Maybe I shouldn't be this way anymore. <laughs> even with all um, these,
1: even with all of these, all of these uh, witnesses to date have been Republicans. We don't know yeah. about uh, Shea, uh, the election worker in um, uh, Georgia, but everyone else has been Republicans. Shouldn't that get their attention?
5: Why would it? If you, they spent years—I'm uh, sorry, decades—training their base that anyone who tells you anything you don't want to hear. Is bad, mm. and if it's a Republican, mm. they're a rhino, and you should just jettison them from the party. And mm-hmm. that's so it doesn't matter what a Republican says because, by definition, if you tell them something you don't want to hear, then you are now the enemy. They're <laughs>
1: programmed that way.
2: They're in on the on the whole thing.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So,
5: and this is this is decades of conditioning kicking in. Um, and
1: I would call it decades of grooming. By the yeah, way, room. but, but <laughs> press on. <laughs> that's yes.
5: exactly the right word. There you go. And and my wife and I who. She writes for crooks and liars, so Mm -hmm. she has to be up to her chin in this every day. Mm -hmm. We do in the evening something we call the steeplechase, which is uh, Fox, MSNBC, CNN. And it's, oh, uh, MSNBC hearings, or Uvalde, CNN, same thing. Fox, it's trans swimmers, or Hunter Biden's laptop.
1: Right, right. So
5: that segment of the universe isn't hearing any of this, or they are if they're hanging around their homes at noon and watching this as opposed to one life to live. But other than that, um, they're not going to hear any of this because they've built a Republican doomsday machine with no off switch. Mm -hmm. And so it doesn't matter what anyone on the outside says because no one on the outside is worth listening.
1: I will say that uh, I was happy to see that at least Fox seems to be running these daytime hearings. They come on and uh, uh, sort of make snarky comments about them and repeat over and over again. Gosh, it's a shame there was nobody there to rebut any of this. Of course, that was... Kevin McCarthy's fault, the Republican leader of the House, who pulled yeah. all of the Republicans out. Um, but uh, other than that, they don't have much to say, so when the hearings are over, they quickly cut away to something else entirely. Speaking of cutting away, I have to take a quick break here uh, with our uh, break in our special coverage, day four of the January six committee hearings with Salon's Heather Digby-Parton and the pro-left's Drift Glass and, of course, Desi Doyen. Uh, I'm Brad Friedman. Don't go away. we got much more straight ahead. I'm Brad Friedman. This is The Bradcast.
6: i would call it a paucity. there was no no evidence being presented of any strength evidence can be hearsay evidence it's still evidence but it's still hearsay but strong judicial quality evidence anything that would say to me you have a doubt deny your oath i will not do that
1: Back to the Bradcast. Brad Friedman from Bradblog.com. Special coverage of day four of the January 6th House Committee hearings looking into the uh, insurrection and Donald Trump's attempt. Many attempts to steal the 2020 presidential election. That was uh Arizona's Republican State House Speaker Rusty Bowers, who testified uh live before the committee on Tuesday. Uh, we're here with uh, Heather Digby Parton of Salon and Driftglass of the Professional Left podcast. Heather, I thought that... um Uh, Bowers made an extraordinary witness. Can you describe uh, his testimony as you heard it for those who may not have seen it?
4: Well, I think he was, I mean, for those who didn't see it, he was, uh, he's the Speaker of the Republican House. I mean, this is a big, the guy with a very big job in Arizona Mm -hmm. Republican politics. Um, And he was, you know, he's like what I think we sort of thought that there would be more of those sort of old school Republicans like mm-hmm. him who mm-hmm. we may disagree with them on absolutely everything on a political policy basis, but we kind of thought a whole bunch of them maybe had some, you know, strong <laughs> adherence to the idea of democracy, maybe, and that they would be willing that they, at the very least, would, would, would all sort of say, no, we're not going to cheat to win and we are going to, you know, we're, we're going to be able to, we're going to concede when we lose. I mean, these are sort of basic, you know, very, very bottom line ideas that I think we thought that more of us shared than than did, and that's what this guy is. And he was simply, think, through his testimony today, just he was appalled by what they were asking him to do and he didn't budge and he was just saying you know no i mean and he he said do you have any proof and and there was i think one of the big the big um comments that came out of this a quote that we'll probably be hearing more of was he said Rudy Giuliani told him yes well you know we have a lot of um what was it, legal theories, but we don't have a lot of evidence?
5: Yes, yes. Uh, you know, I, or something
4: although, along those that, lines. Like, that,
1: that was eventually. I mean, this was, uh, he was he was relentlessly uh, called by uh, Giuliani, by the president. They wanted him to reconvene the, a special session of the uh, Arizona State Legislature to name Donald Trump electors instead of Joe Biden's electors. And he kept saying, "I can't do that. It's unlawful. it's uh, you know beyond uh, my oath of office. I couldn't even if I wanted to, I'd have to get two thirds of the house to to vote in favor of reconvening. Um, but he was open you know he was a Trump supporter, and he kept he kept listening to these <clears throat> to these lies over and over again. I was struck by the fact that um, uh, well, Rudy and Trump would tell Bowers that we know there was two hundred thousand illegal votes that were cast.
2: Yeah, and and Trump continued to repeat those lies over and over and over again.
1: And apparently, well, uh, this guy Rusty Bowers said, "Okay, great. Do you have the evidence? Here's here's part of that exchange."
0: And when you asked him uh for evidence of this fraud, what did he say? He said that they did have proof, and I asked him, "Do you have names?"
6: For example, we have 200,000 illegal immigrants, some large number. Uh, five or six thousand dead people, etc. And I said, do you have their names? Yes. Will you give them to me? Yes. The president interrupted and said, give the man what he needs, Rudy. He said, I, I will. And that happened on at least two occasions, that interchange in the conversation.
0: So Mr. Giuliani was claiming in the call that there were hundreds of thousands of undocumented people and thousands of dead people who had Uh, purportedly voted in the election yes Uh, and you asked him for evidence of that I did Uh, and did he ever receive did you ever receive from him that evidence uh, either during the call after the call or to this day never
1: never It was never presented with the evidence. He was asked over and over again. So I don't know if it's just me as a you know an old white guy uh, watching th- these hearings, but seeing an old white guy uh, is it my imagination or was he tearing up at several points uh, throughout that testimony? Heather,
4: he was. It obviously meant a lot to him. It's like Desi said in the beginning, you know, I mean, this was somebody who, for whom this, this meant a lot. He was, yeah. he was defending the Constitution, and he was also, and he didn't belabor the point, but I was moved by it when he talked about how they were threatening him personally, and he had a gravely ill daughter who died very soon after this happened. Uh, of you know, she was very very sick, and they were you know they're threatening her too. And he he mentioned that sort of almost in passing, and he got choked up, and I did too. I'm going, oh my god, you know what is wrong with you? It made me you know one, you know who am I sharing this country with? <laughs> who are these <laughs> they monsters? They would do something like no. this, you know? It's just so awful. And 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 so there was that. But I think I think it was both of those things. It was personal for him, but then it was also kind of a. It was just a. It was just a deep, you know, sort of sense of his his philosophy of life. He talked a lot about his religious belief and how he felt that the constitution was, you know, guided by that or inspired mm-hmm. by, by, you know, divine guidance or whatever he said. And so this was just somebody who held a very deep set of beliefs that went beyond Donald Trump. And I'm thinking, wow, I thought a lot of people had that and it turns out that not <laughs> not as not many so <laughs> not very many at all, actually. I mean if you look at the Republican you know, I mean it's still what he still has the support of something like eighty you know well, a, over eighty percent of the people of the of Republicans, Republicans still believe the election was stolen. So at that part of it where where it's just you know, that that kind of cult like devotion that they have for Trump, this guy was sort of he was, you know, refuting that and saying, Well, no, I mean I voted for him, I'm a Republican, he's Republican Speaker of the Arizona House. Since 19- you 19... Know, like, yeah. Yeah, so, I mean, it's not like he's some, you know, just some outlier guy. I mean, he voted for Trump, but he's going, no, I'm not going to... You know, it's like your song. I'm not going to do that. I won't do that. You know, <laughs> that's going too far. And even in... He he, had a, he testified that he had written down some some thoughts, I guess, I means he was on the airplane to go testify, and he say, he just said, you know, I don't want to cheat to win. That's like, you know... Yeah, I mean, that's like what people with integrity believe, or we thought believed. But Donald Trump came along, and he has introduced not a new ethos, but he's made it a mass ethos among a lot of people that cheating to win is just fine. And he, that's where we're at today.
1: He has released the poison. Uh, and by the way, yeah, Rusty Bowers, I think, first elected in Arizona in 1993. I think he was the Speaker of the House since 2013, if I'm remembering that correctly. Uh, Driftglass, uh, your thoughts on Rusty Bowers' testimony today?
5: Oh, I thought he was, he was excellent because, you know, it really is, and I don't want to cheapen this by saying casting, but putting juxtaposing him
1: mm-hmm.
5: um, with with uh, yeah. lady Lady Ruby, right, and her daughter, yeah, was just was just genius because they both told exactly the same story,
1: yeah, yeah, and they
5: told it from completely different um, ends of the spectrum, they, they, everything you can imagine, and you had sort of this old fashioned um, gentleman restraining his tears, mm-hmm. not faking it, right, because he was so heartbroken because. This was his own party. This was as close to um, the Larry Hogan moment that we're ever going to have, which is, you know, back in Watergate. Uh, Lawrence Hogan stands up and says, you know, I was expecting my president to throw people out of his office, but he didn't do that. He kept them in there and talked about blackmailing and bribery and those things, and he was in tears.
1: Isn't Larry Hogan the governor of Maryland? I believe he is. This is Lawrence Hogan. Right? Oh, Lawrence Hogan. Okay. Yes. No, I
2: not the same. I, I, I'm not, the not, same. not.
1: I'm not as old as you and Heather, so I don't. <laughs> you know, I don't know these things. Uh, what if? Uh, what if anything uh, did we learn uh, new? Drift Glass from um, Georgia Secretary of State Brad Raffensperger and his deputy attorney general uh, in, in 2020, uh, Gabe, Gabe Sterling, was the voting system manager. And I should note. Uh, we don't have to spend too much time on these guys unless you want to, because on our next broadcast, we're actually hope to be joined by Marilyn Marks of the Coalition for Good Governance. Uh, she is suing, has long been suing the state of Georgia and Brad Raffensperger for their terrible voting system. She will have a rebuttal, I suspect, to some of Raffensperger's comments. But what, uh, if anything new, did we learn from, from their testimony today?
5: Um, that Well, there were three recounts, and they all yield the same results. And it didn't matter one damn to Donald Trump or any of his people that they still went out and announced that there were suitcases full of votes and there was all this fraud in Georgia. I'm sure they're going to go right on doing it. And I I just worry that, you know, the epitaph on this country is going to be democracy died in America because 70 million idiots wouldn't change the channel. Mm. And it really is all of a piece. If you go back to Trump on Ukraine, um, it's all about finding an excuse, just just have a hearing. Don't even have any results. Just give me something to feed into the Fox News machine. Mm-hmm. Yes. And that's all they wanted. Yeah. Um,
2: in both Ukraine and in Georgia and with the Department of Justice yeah. when he was pressuring them, too. You're right.
5: Give me something. There's
2: Just say uh, it and I'll do the rest. The me and
1: the Republican uh, congressman will handle the rest. Yeah, go ahead. <laughs> um,
5: last week in our podcast mm-hmm. we talked about the Georgia's... Uh, Uh, school boards that are being attacked by CRT fanatics, and Mm -hmm. I only bring this up because one of the organizers stressed that it's okay to be emotional and have a professional videographer on hand because, and I'm quoting now, it's good in case Tucker Carlson wants to put you on the air. That's the reason. That's the reason for all of the posturing. That's the reason for everything they do. Mm -hmm. Give me ammunition I can belt feed into the Fox News machine that will get this done. And they don't care about democracy that's i keep I, I keep get i get very frustrated with people who expect them to flip somehow or there's a senator Payne moment from uh from uh, mr smith goes to washington where that boy is telling the truth and it's all lies and i'm not fit to be here that's never going to happen we're never going to flip these people um but what we can do is put down for history and for the good of civic hygiene <laughs> uh, a case as good as is being put out now. And it's, you know, Brad uh, Rapsenberger is, is a piece of that. He was a small piece, but I think, honestly, the, he was bookended by the two best sets of witnesses they had all day.
1: Uh, Heather, uh, here also in Georgia, uh, as we heard in Arizona from, uh, from Rusty Bowers, in Georgia, Trump and Rudy were claiming there were 5,000 dead people who voted. And then it was 10,000 dead people who voted when they actually filed their lawsuit. But uh, Brad Raffensberger said that they investigated and the number wasn't five or ten thousand. It was actually four, not not four thousand, but four dead people uh, or people who had died before the election.
4: Well, that's right, and if judging by the cases that we know about dead people who may have voted in the, in that mm-hmm. election around the country, they were Republicans, and they vote the dead person. Mm-hmm. They had the dead person voting for Donald Trump. So that seems to be more the pattern than the other way around. Just one slight digression:
2: mm-hmm. <laughs> it's that
4: Larry Hogan from Watergate was the father of Larry Hogan, the current governor. There of you go, Just FYI, and by he was from Maryland too, of
2: course. Anyway,
1: there you go. Really? See? Yes. See how, see,
2: still not the same person.
5: She is old, so I <laughs> <laughs> told you that was very,
4: okay. very, very, very yeah, old. Yeah. Okay. She's yeah.
2: very crafty and knows how to use the Google. <laughs> yeah, she does.
5: you know, you know Brad, yeah, I'd still be telling me there aren't 256 communists in the State Department. What, I mean, what, <laughs> what are we supposed to believe? What,
1: <laughs> <clears throat> everything old is new again, apparently. Uh, Heather, uh, Wandrea Shea Moss, 10 year. Fulton County, Georgia election worker, daughter of the much maligned and targeted 62 year old, I think, volunteer election worker, Ruby Freeman, to me was the most moving portion of the day. Maybe because I have spent so mu- uh, you know, so much of my life over the past 20 years uh, working, supporting election officials, election workers who go through, even in the best of times, uh, ridiculously long days, dealing with ridiculously you know, mean voters sometimes she and her mom were just relentlessly maligned, claimed to have hidden secret suitcases of ballots in the state farm arena to have counted them multiple times only to be unforgivingly harassed by Trump and Rudy and, and Trump supporters to the point where Shay Moss uh, who loved her job for 10 years uh, has since quit. I found that absolutely heartbreaking and appalling but again, is is it one of those things? Does it get through, or is it just a too difficult a story to you know to tell in a fifteen second soundbite the next day?
4: Well, I don't know, but I, I do think that the outpouring uh, that I noticed on social media, anyway, toward Shea Moss and Ruby Friedman, were was was pretty overwhelming. Uh, I think there, for many pe- I don't think many people, even those who are following this, this closely truly understood what happened to those two women and how absolutely terrifying it was. When I said terrorism earlier, that that is really what we're talking about. Mm. And when you consider the fact that these are also black women and they're working in elections, uh, you know, the whole historical gravity of being terrified Mm. (laughs) by a bunch of yahoos Mm -hmm. coming and threatening your life, I mean, that really, really brings it home on what was going on down there. And Donald Trump mentioned ruby freeman's name a bunch of times i had heard that name during that period i remember hearing it and mm-hmm. and sort of being aware of that story even though uh, you know i'm not sure that a whole lot of people under you know knew other than the right wing of course they were in a, i mean ruby freeman was a huge huge you know person in this whole story oh they
1: used that now. name over and over, over again. and over yes again. And trump called her a professional vote hustler
4: Boat hustler, yeah, hustler. Jesus. I mean, just using those terms. And Rudy Giuliani in his testimony saying, you know, oh, oh, they, uh, you know, they, it's like they were passing a vial of heroin, you know, amongst each other. It turned out it was a ginger mint, you know. I mean, these people. It just the, the the whole sort of gross aura of racism over that entire story is just—it's too blatant to be missed, right? I mean, we all could see it at the time, and it was brought home even more in the hearing today. Both of them showed to me such incredible dignity and fortitude in standing up to this thing and being willing. I mean, shame off coming and and being willing to testify their lives in in, in front of the whole country. Uh, It kind of broke my heart, but it also made me feel some hope. You know, I'm watching that and I'm going, wow, there really are heroes in this world you know there are people who are willing to go out and do you know do something that's you could tell this was not easy for her to tell that story and to put herself out there even more than she already was i mean imagine what it's like for for both of them to to try and live their lives uh, knowing that there's this group of you know again terrorists out there uh who you know know who they are and know their names and and they've been you know sort of They've been destroyed, their lives have been destroyed by the President of the United States and his army of, you know, radical <laughs> cultists. And, um, you know, I, I think it was, it was extremely powerful. And I think that both of them just showed so much, you know, so much dignity and courage in being there, in, in testifying the yeah. way that they both did.
1: And her, her, mother, her mother, Ruby Freeman... Uh, Lady Ruby is a pistol she didn't uh, testify live uh, but you could tell from her, her video uh, testimony she was fantastic and she did show up live she was in the front row behind her daughter after all that she has gone through uh, she was not too frightened uh, You know that she felt she had to back down I gotta get to a break here but uh, Bill Driftglass before we get to that break in our final segment uh, your thoughts uh, today on, uh, on Shay Moss
5: um, she could have been at the Sunday table and in my ex's family. I mean, she's spoke like a real person. Uh. Uh, this just there's no guile. There's no there's no attempt to do anything but look up because you know she never looked at the camera. She was composing herself the whole time and tell her, her truth as honestly as she could without breaking down and crying. Mm-hmm. And if you're not moved by that, you're you're dead inside. That's all I got.
1: Well, I'm happy to know I'm not dead inside uh, (laughs) for a change. All right, let me take a quick break. We will come back with our closing few minutes. With Heather Digby-Parton of Salon with Drift Glass of the professional left uh, on day four of the House January 6th committee's uh, public hearings where they just, uh, I don't know if it's just me, but they just seem to keep topping themselves. We'll see if it is just me uh, with our guests in a moment. We'll be right back after a quick break. I'm Brad Friedman. You are listening to the Bradcast. And thanks.
3: I felt horrible. I just felt bad for my mom and I felt horrible for picking this job and being the one that always wants to help and always there and never missing out one election. I just felt like it was it was my fault for putting my family in this situation. It's turned my life upside down. I no longer give out my business card don't want anyone knowing my name I don't go to the grocery store at all I haven't been anywhere um, at all I've gained about 60 pounds I just don't do nothing anymore I don't want to go anywhere I second guess everything that I do Um, it's affecting my life in in a major way in every way all because of lies. For me doing my job.
1: That was Shay Moss, longtime 10 year election worker in Fulton County, Georgia, Atlanta, Georgia. Uh, talking about how uh, after loving her job, she no longer uh, she quit the job and um, how her life has just been turned upside down after being targeted by the president, falsely targeted by the president of the United States at the time. Thankfully, no more. Donald Trump. Welcome back to the broadcast. Brad Friedman from BradBlog.com, dot com. Day four of the January six hearings in the U.S. House. Our uh, panel is still here. Heather Digby-Parton of Salon, Drift Glass from uh, the professional left. Uh, Drift Glass, let me ask you, you know, if... (sighs) If, if if even though these hearings are theoretically about making legislative changes to help prevent a situation like this from happen, happening again uh when I hear the testimony from uh, Shea Moss and I think will anybody be held accountable for that if these hearings are not ultimately followed up by uh, the DOJ bringing charges against Donald Trump and these other terrorists uh, are, are these hearings ultimately a failure?
5: No, not at all um because I thought, I thought about this this afternoon when I was watching them, and I've thought about this a lot. And I've come up with just a handful of reasons why these hearings exist. And the first I've already mentioned is to sound the alarm. If you're listening, listen. Uh, the second would be for criminal referrals. And, and no one who's has any insight into what's going on inside the DOJ, so I don't know. Um, then there's legislative reforms, which are important, but I have very little hope that they're going to come to anything. But the last two are for are for history. I mean, you know, Josephus couldn't stop the Romans from sacking Jerusalem, but he could make an honest record of the events of history and save some elements of Jewish culture, and that was ultimately terribly important. Mm. And lastly, because democracy demands it. You know, even if, you're, even if you're on the deck of the Titanic playing near my God to V as the ship goes down, basic, as I said, civic hygiene demands that we have these sorts of public airings of grievances Mm. and and problems and crises and the only thing i think adam Schiff got wrong was saying that this is not who we are (laughs) because this is very definitely who a lot Mm. of us are and i think it it, it's a disservice to keep pretending that any part of the republican party is salvageable and that this isn't a, a whole party effort to overthrow our democracy
1: I think you make excellent points there, sir. Uh, Heather, in uh, Liz Cheney's closing statement, she offered a bit of a cliffhanger. They're sort of going kind of, uh, you know, a Marvel Cinematic Universe with these hearings <laughs> at this point. you got to wait for the post credit scene. But uh, Liz Cheney, uh, it seemed like a bit of a cliffhanger, suggesting that Trump's White House counsel, Pat Cipollone, uh, who Trump has apparently worked hard to prevent from testifying, that he wants to testify, that he may well be testifying soon. Um, wh- any sense if that was meant as... Was that meant as as, as, a, as a teaser for what is coming, or was it meant as pressure on Cipollone to, uh, to show up and testify?
4: Well, according to what I've read from, you know, like Maggie Haberman and some of the other reporters that have some insight into Trump world, that it was pressure, that he hadn't agreed, and that he'd been... He, he His people apparently have been saying, look, we're cooperating with the committee, we're doing this, but we have issues with, you know, executive privilege and attorney client privilege, although as White House counsel he has no attorney client privilege his mm-hmm. client was the US government. But right. whatever. Right. Um but they, so they, I think they're in the, I think they're negotiating. I, I, that's what it sounded like that's what I think is happening and that basically Liz Cheney was coming out and trying to put some public pressure on him, maybe trying to leverage Bill Barr who is great by the way one of Pat Cipollone's best friends mm. and uh, also people like, you know, J. Michael Ludig and various others in that sort of world who seem to be perhaps coming to a different conclusion than Cipollone about whether or not they should talk. So I don't know that. That's just the impression that I got. But, but yeah, I mean, the, the next hearing is going to feature... Uh, that whole mess with the Department of Justice and the White House Counsel's Office and everything that was going on there so that's
1: what that's about. Is there, uh, I've got just about another minute, I want to fly around the table here, um, what, what if anything, you know every time these hearings come up it's like what more can there be and then there certainly is, uh, is there anything specific that you would like to see from the committee, either from you know the hearings themselves or, or from their uh, final report, we'll just run around the table here Heather
4: um, well, gee, you know, I don't know. I, I I would like to see, and I I think we will see, what I talked about in the beginning that right, that they're going to show that there was this culmination, leading up, uh, you know of of you know sort of violent rhetoric leading up to the violence of January sixth, and how that is affecting things going forward. I mean, you have somebody like Shea Moss here today saying her life has been ruined. How many election workers are going to want to volunteer in the future? So I think that's. I, you know, you need to see how this is going into the future and this, this, this overhang of violent, um, you know, terrorism that's sort of hanging over everything.
1: Does he do yeah, it? Yeah,
2: I, w- I would uh, agree with that and build on that to how this looks going forward into the future to 2024. Because as, uh, as Shay Moss and her mom said, you know, all of these elections officials are being, and, and public poll workers are being driven from public service by these threats. And that's really dangerous because they're being replaced by Trump's coup plotters and people. Mm-hmm. So they will be in place for the 2022 election, the 2024 election. As uh, As Heather said, this is an ongoing rolling insurrection and i hope that the committee makes that clear
1: bill any thoughts uh something else you something more you'd like to see from the committee before this is all said and done
5: well since you brought in the marvel universe Mm -hmm. i feel compelled (laughs) to say that this committee does not have a second act problem (laughs) that they are building a really powerful narrative i would like to see mike pence dragged before the committee and ah. sworn in. If he's if he's the patriot that he makes himself out to be, he should have no problem. But I don't have, uh, hold on, and you hope that's going to happen.
1: There you go. Donald Trump's 2020 election theft cinematic universe. Uh, <laughs> thanks, guys. Really appreciate your your insight into all of this today. Of course, you can find Heather Digby Parton at Salon.com and at uh, her blog, Hullablu, which you can get to net. You can also find her on the Twitters at Digby56. Uh, Drift Driftglass may or may not be findable on the Twitters at Mr. Underscore Electrico. Are you back on Twitter, uh, uh, Bill,
5: I am, and reasons for that
1: are mysterious. All right. Well, <laughs> we like a good mystery. Uh, you can also find his weekly podcast with his wife, Blue Gal, at ProLeftPod.com. Thanks uh, so much to both of you guys. Thanks to our producer, Desi Doyen, and to all of you for spending a portion of your day or night with us. If you missed any portion of today's program, you can download it anytime for free at Bradblog.com. All of that is made possible thanks to those of you who stopped by bradblog.com slash donate to help us stay on your public airwaves trying to make sense of it all. If you missed, uh, oh, you can drop me email. I am bradcast at bradblog.com. On the Facebooks and the Twitters, I am the BradBlog. We will see you there until we see you here next time tomorrow, probably with some election results and a rebuttal from Marilyn Marks to her good friend, Georgia Secretary of State, (laughs) Brad Raffensperger. All right, until then, we'll see you later. I'm Brad Friedman. Good luck, world.